Well, I've been blessed by all, my wife and I both have been blessed by the music as usual here um, at Canaan Baptist this week. And uh, one of the things I remember about the GIBF meeting, I can't remember how long ago that was. You probably do. There was a lot of work put into that. But I remember the uh, preachers and a lot of the comments had to do with uh, the good gospel music and just like we've heard this week and that whole meeting was just Wow, the music was on. It was fantastic and outstanding. The preaching was okay. And uh, anyway, it was just, it was really great. That kind of great music. Appreciate it so much. Open your Bibles tonight to Genesis 32. Genesis 32. And for tomorrow night, if you'll read, let me see if I got it right, 35. Genesis 35 is where we'll be tomorrow night. And we'll conclude uh, this series. There's more to Jacob's life and more to the story. But we reach a, a major, major point, well, tonight and tomorrow night in chapter 35. All right, in this life of Jacob. So we're in chapter uh, 32. And what we're going to do is we're just going to stand and read our text to begin with. And then I'm going to back up and kind of bring us up to speed onto what leads us to the place of our reading, and then we'll attempt to preach this passage. So how about we stand for the reading of the Word of God, and I appreciate those that have expressed uh, their interest in the whole account and have done their reading ahead, and I know it's, it's been profitable uh, for you. All right, so we're in chapter 32. And we're going to start our reading in um, verse number 22. Let's go to verse 22. And he, Jacob, rose up that night. Now we're going to talk in a moment about what led up to that if you haven't read ahead, uh, you know, read ahead before tonight. And he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his eleven sons and Dinah, and passed over the ford Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook, and sent over that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not, when Jacob saw that he prevailed not against him, I'm sorry, when the man who wrestled with him saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he, that would be the angel, the man that wrestled with him, the Lord, and he said, let me go, for the day breaketh. And he, Jacob, said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he, the Lord, said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he, the Lord, said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. 
And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore, from then on, the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. Father, we are truly grateful once again, and we call upon you, Lord, and, and give you thanks for your wonderful word and for the for the working of your Holy Spirit, upon whom we depend. We thank you for this privilege and this opportunity to assemble together another time and look into the Word. And I pray that you would help us now that our thoughts and our minds might be clear and free from the distractions that might come from the business of today or the expectations of tomorrow. And I pray that while we are here, that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would arrest our attention and make this a profitable time. And I truly want to uh, preach with clarity and plainness, and I pray, God, that you would help me. And I pray that you would work in the hearts and lives of your people, Lord, that we would uh, have hearing ears and truly benefit from the time spent together in your Word. We love you and thank you for your great love to us. And we do pray in the name of your wonderful Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. you may be seated. <clears throat> this is, everybody I think has to agree, just an incredible story. As so many of the accounts of the Old Testament are, they're just absolutely amazing. And one of my favorite preaching exercises is the narratives of the Old Testament and these great stories. So Jacob has lived up to his name. Nobody can deny that. The name means a supplanter, a deceiver. Uh, he was a man of, you don't hear the word very much, but it's a proper usage of the word chicanery, which means that he was tricky, he was deceitful, and he was a rascal. He was. And there's no question about that. And by the time we come to our part in the story, he has already stolen the birthright from his weak and frail brother and got the blessing by deceit from his dad. Esau is so upset with Jacob that he wanted to kill him. And that's when Rebekah got involved and, and said, you've got to go away for a few days. And it turned out to be 20 years that he was gone. Where did he go? He went to Haran, about 500 miles to the north-northeast of where he was and went there and immediately met up with his mother's brother's family. And he saw Rachel, fell in love with Rachel, and then 
sort of met his match in this Laban fellow who became his mother-in-law, Jacob's uncle. Did I say mother-in-law? Who became his father-in-law. And uh, it was also Jacob's uncle, Rebekah's brother. And so uh, he's met up with him. And Laban himself, as we're going to see, or as you've seen, as you've read through the account, we're not going to spend a lot of time on Laban, but he was himself quite the character. And he knew how to manipulate as well. And he knew how to look after number one, and he did as well. So Jacob, it's like he is reaping what he has sown. We've talked about that some, so I'm not going to go into that any more in detail tonight. And when we come to our account here, uh, we understand that Jacob has now worked for seven years so that he might have Rachel, and he got Leah. Then he took Rachel along with Leah and worked seven more years and then agreed to work seven more years for his father-in-law. Uh, he and Laban, they weren't really a, necessarily a good fit, but Laban liked the fact that he could take what Jacob offered and it profited him. And he was better off financially as far as his operation was concerned. And so he talked Jacob into staying another seven years and working for him even after the marriage and all of that. But through the process of time, Jacob kept up with his trickery and his chicanery, and he uh, began to take an advantage of his father-in-law and his situation. And there's parts of it that I'm not going to go into detail about tonight, but some believe that he really practiced an art of selective breeding to make uh, the livestock that would be his uh, more valuable than the livestock that would be his father's so that it became more profitable for uh, Jacob than it was his father-in-law Laban. And so when Laban and those that were with him saw that Jacob was prospering above Laban, there began to be greater and greater tension here as a result of that until finally Jacob realizes this is not, we are not compatible, this is not going to work, there's going to be terrible, terrible conflict. And so uh, the scriptures tells us how that Jacob just got his family together and up and left and surprised Laban by his departure. And then there was conflict after that with uh, Jacob and Laban that I'm not going to go into the detail about tonight. It's not, not really necessary. And so basically what we're trying to see is that as this story develops and Jacob departs, uh, you see that Jacob is still being Jacob. No question about it. He's still, uh, he's still applying the same uh, approach. He is still has the same deceptive uh, practices and character, and he is manipulating, and he has it all figured out. It's sort of like you could hear Jacob saying, I got this, I got this, I know what I'm doing. I, I've said that he no doubt had a postgraduate degree in manipulative arts because he knew how to manipulate and he knew how to get what he wanted. Jacob is still being Jacob, but he finds himself in a precarious place here because after he leaves Laban and then he and Laban have one final conflict, then they agree that Laban is going to go his way, Jacob is going to go his way, and they're not going to bother each other anymore. 
In other words, their relationship is done. And so Jacob has been called by God to go back to the land and to go back to Bethel. And so Laban is going to take his family and go back. Laban's going to do his thing. Jacob is going to do his thing. And their agreement was they won't, they won't be causing each other any more conflict. It's, it's not going to happen. So that's taken care of. So he's going to go back to the land, which now creates a whole new problem and a whole new situation. Well, it's not really new, but now he is realizing I'm going to have to face what I left. Because though it's been 20 years, for all he knows, Esau is still bitter. I've uh, tried to observe in, uh, things in my life, and I've noticed that people that are prone to bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness, that many, in many cases, the time of years passing doesn't really change how they feel. I've actually dealt with some people that were harboring bitterness and malice and unforgiveness and hate and such as that. And when they spilled the story, I assumed that this is something that was freshly happening that I just wasn't aware of. Come to find out it could have been 10, 15, 20 years ago and more. And so as far as Jacob, Jacob knew, uh, Esau was still a bitter man. And so as he's going back, now he can't go back to, he, he can't go back to Haran or Padan Aram. He can't go back with Laban. But if he goes forward, he's got to face Esau. And he's not very excited about meeting Esau. As a matter of fact, he is very, very much afraid. He's sort of like the guy that I, I liken it to this, sort of like, I like basketball, sort of like a guy that steals a ball and he's going down court and he's going on a fast break and uh, right before he leaves the ground to put in a slam dunk, he sees that there's a defender in front of him uh, that has made his way there, but he's already got his feet in the air. There's nothing he can do about it. It doesn't matter how much he dunks that ball, he's gonna get charged, uh, called for charging because he already left the ground, he has no more control. Or the guy that's on a bungee jump. Remember when bungee jump fad went across the country and I stood at our state fair in Oklahoma City and watched these idiot, uh, these uh, individuals get up on that platform and, and just jump off of that platform. And I've had people say, have you ever tried that? And I'm, I'm disappointed that I look that dumb. Like I would just, no, I'm, I'm afraid of the heights anyway. And I thought if I did that, I would probably, just as my feet left the platform, I would say, wait, but it would be too late. And he's already taken a jump here. You get what I'm saying? And he's got to meet his brother Esau. And so what does Jacob do? Jacob does what Jacob does. I got this. I'm going to take care of this. So he begins his movement so he can prepare to meet his brother. And here's what he does. Uh, what he does is he is going to get together a package that should buy off the wrath of Esau and put him in a place of favor with Esau. So he's going to give him cattle and he's going to give him sheep and he's going to give him livestock. He's going to give him this and that and another thing. And he gets this, all, I call it a package. He's got it all together there. And as they meet Esau, then Esau is going to actually see all of that and says, now, what is this about? Well, this uh, is from uh, Jacob who said, give this to my Lord Esau. Now, excuse me just a second. Jacob calling Esau, my Lord just about makes me want to gag. I don't know about you. 
But this is a man that is fearful. He is very much afraid. And, and then, so he tries to buy him off. I, I, I can give him enough stuff that it'll buy his favor. And just in case it doesn't buy his favor, I got that covered too. So he arranged his family and he puts them in a place to where if Jacob, I'm sorry, if Esau is on the war path and still coming after him, then he's got his family arranged where those that he considers the most dispensable would get killed first. So the handmaids and, his, and their uh, sons are in the most vulnerable spot meeting Esau. And then it would be Leah and her sons would be in the next most vulnerable spot and the most protected would be then Rachel and Joseph, Benjamin having not been born yet. And so that is the situation. He's, he's got it all covered. Now, if you look down, this is, to me, this is really interesting because if you look down into, uh, hold on here just a second. Yeah, look down into verse number 32. Yeah, I'm sorry, chapter 32, verse one. And Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. So Jacob is getting, he's going to get everything arranged here. He's got, he's, he can handle it. He can manipulate, get things ready. And Jacob went on his way and the angels, mark this now, the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's host. Can I have your attention here for just a second? There was a host of angels. Now you can look up the definition of host for yourself, but it means more than a handful. There were a lot of angels there. The term is there was a host of angels. You look that up and you'll see that it had to do with a significant company or a significant number of angels. And so he sees them encamped there and watch this. And he called the name of that place Mahanium. Now, I have a question for you. Why would God have angels there? Well, what did he show Jacob that night? when he had first left home and he was laying there with a rock at the place called Luz, later called Bethel, uh, what did God show him that night? Well, he showed him in this dream, this ladder that ascended up to heaven and uh, came down from heaven, I should say, and it showed angels on that ladder and they were ascending and descending. Now, what's that supposed to mean? Well, I found out later after the service, I never really spent the time on that I meant to spend on it. So here we go right now. Uh, what that meant was God is saying to him, I'm able to take care of you. Can I have your attention? Get your hands off of this thing. I have everything that is necessary uh, to take care of your situation. See these angels that are ascending and descending? Uh, angels are ministering spirits to those that are the heirs of salvation. And so God said, I can dispense these angels. They're greater than you. You're made lower than the angels and I can dispense them. And so I'm going to take care of you. That, that's what he is showing Jacob. So you don't have to be crafty. You don't have to be tricky. You don't have to deceive. You don't have to lie like you've been lying, deceiving, cheating and all of this. You don't have to do that. I can accomplish my purpose on your life by my power and my ability. Do you see these angels ascending and descending? And by the way, when I said we are not climbing Jacob's ladder, Jesus let Nathaniel know that he's going to see angels ascending and descending upon him. 
So what he is basically saying, I am your connection to everything you need. I am everything you need. And I have at my bidding and at my authority and my power, all the hosts of heaven and these beings that are ministering spirits to the heirs of salvation. I have it covered. I can take care of you. That's what God told Jacob that night. So here he is now about to meet Esau. Uh, not accidentally, there's a host of angels there. And, excuse me, Jacob and his family camp there, and the angels are camped there. You know what the word mahanium means? Double camp. So you have two camping out there. You've got the host of angels that are there, and he's seen them. That's bad grammar, just to make sure you're listening. He saw them. He saw the angels there. And he is camped there in view of the angels. I'm talking about they have the ability to see, or he does, the angels there. Okay, so what is his response to this? Well, look on in chapter 32. Now watch this. If you read this, you're up to speed on it, but just in case you didn't, look over in verse number 6. And the messengers returned to Jacob. They went out and found out that Esau was coming. And the messengers went out to Jacob saying, Well, we found your brother. We came to thy brother, and also he cometh to meet thee. And 400 men with him. Just exactly what Jacob didn't want to hear. So what is it? Esau's already out on the war path? And he's got 400 men with him. Do you understand that the way a lot of them would have prospered is they would have pillaged uh, villages and places and taken advantage. I mean, marauders like this. And Esau was not a good man. And so here he is with 400 men and he's coming to meet thee. And Jacob said, not to worry, friends. I'm amidst the camp of the angels of God. And God already said he's going to take care of me. And these angels, I have seen them ascending and descending, doing the bidding of God. And God told me he was going to be with me. He told me he was not going to leave me. He told me he was going to keep me. He already told me that back there at Luz or Bethel. He's already told me that. Not to worry. God's got it all covered. No, no, no. That's not where Jacob was at all. Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided the people. Here we go. Here we go. He'll divide the people. He'll get everybody prepared and ready. And then he does what he does to get his family divided and the whole bit. And Jacob was, he wasn't afraid. He was greatly afraid and distressed. Divided the people that was with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two bands. And said, if Esau come to one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. I've got this covered. Are you listening to this? Jacob is being Jacob. Still in, still in control, at least he's trying to be, and still manipulating and still believing I can fix this, I can handle this, I can do it my way. That's me, that's Jacob, that's just who I am. Well, he's so afraid he decides to pray. Look at verse 9. And, and this is amazing, because I'm not going to read it, but verse 9 through 12 is a good prayer. It's a good prayer. He says, I'm not worthy of this. I don't deserve asking you this, but I don't want to die at the hand of Esau. And so he's begging God to help. 
Well, God's already at work. I said, God's already at work. See how mixed up this guy is? He saw the angels of God. I, I don't want to make too much of that, but I want to make sure we get the point here that those angels of God were there because of God. <laughs> And he saw them there, but he's still afraid and he's still manipulating. And now he's praying. And after he prays is when he got the presents out and the gift and he's going to appeal to, uh, to Esau. Well, the night has come. The next day he's going to meet Esau. What is tomorrow going to hold? And if you notice in our account, it says that he passed over the ford Jabbok, a ford. What is that? It's a brook off of a larger body of water, river, such as that. So here's Jacob. Now, hold on just a second. He was, verse 24, left alone. Jacob was left alone. So he got his family all divided up. Come on, remember, he's got the handmaids and their sons here and whatever. He's got Leah and her sons here. And he's got Rachel and Joseph here. And then he crosses over the ford Jabbok. And he is alone there. Got it all covered. Night fell. Wonder, I wonder why he was alone. Probably the same reason he seemed to be alone back there at Luz. God had to get this man to quit manipulating, get his hands off of stuff, and get away from people that he's trying to use and save and do everything himself so God could work on him, which he did work on him. So verse 24 comes, and Jacob was left alone. So here he is again in a place where God can deal with him. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And so let's say they're near the midnight hour, and this striving starts between them. Now, one thing I want to make clear right off the bat, I am not of the company of those that believe that Jacob was so hungry and desirous of the blessings of God that he wrestled with God and was trying to get God's favor. Now, I'm just going to tell you something. God wanted to show him favor. God wanted to bless him. God wanted to take care of him. It was not Jacob that initiated the striving here. It was the Lord that initiated the striving and began to wrestle with him. Now, can you imagine that? The ways of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God, the patience of God, the kindness of God, the long suffering of God. Who would, have, who, who would be surprised or could blame God if he would have already taken Jacob and done this and said, I believe I'll try somebody else. None of us could blame God for that. But here is God being the long-suffering and the patient God that he is. And he is still dealing with Jacob. And he comes in the form of a man. Now, somebody says, now, I'm not sure that that's the Lord. Well, Jacob was. Because by the time this thing's over, he stared out of his mind. I've just met God and he knew it. And I am still alive to talk about it. See, that's, that's the point we're supposed to get here. So this, the Lord, this man, as he appeared as a man, wrestled with him, watch this, until the breaking of the day. Excuse me. If the Lord is going to wrestle with a man, does it really take all night for him to get done what he wants to get done? Well, it depends on what he's wanting to get done. 
In this case, what he's wanting to get done is to see a man surrendered to his authority and his will. So why did it go all night? Because Jacob hadn't surrendered. Because he is striving. And somebody says, why would he let it go all night? Maybe it's to show the absolute weariness that comes from striving against God. Because that's what he's doing. Maybe it's meant to show us that God can manifest his power and stop this at any time he desires because it went on through the night and as it began to become the daytime, now watch this, uh, Jacob was still resisting and Jacob was still striving until the Bible says that about the break of day that the Lord touched the hollow of his thigh. Now, I don't know about your awareness or knowledge of wrestling. I, I never was a wrestler, but I was raised in a wrestling town, our town of Perry, Oklahoma. We had, uh, since 1950, 43, 44 state championships. I mean, it's a wrestling mecca, uh, mecca there. It's amazing. Just small town, high school, and they flat produce the wrestlers. It's, it's amazing. So I did learn this. Now, one of the things that made them so effective is that a long time ago, one of the coaches kind of broke the uh, mold and the tradition about wrestling, and he put greater emphasis on the legs and the use of the legs in wrestling and how that uh, proper use and strength of the legs would serve a guy better than if he was exceptional in the upper body, but weak in his legs. And so what I learned from that is this. If a man only has one leg, he is probably not going to do so good. And when that hip is out of joint, he's done as far as wrestling is concerned. I'm just saying, as far as getting anywhere with it, with you, if you're going to do it with one leg and you're wrestling with somebody who knows how to wrestle, you are done. That's all there is to it. And so God touches the hollow of his thigh and Jacob, therefore, can't do anything in terms of striving as he had been. And all he can do is hang on. That's what our account says. All he can do is cleave to him and hang on to him. And to his credit, he did. And so understanding, now watch this, understanding his predicament and understanding where he was, Jacob cries out and he says in verse 26, rather, the Lord said to him, let me go for the day breaketh. I will not let thee go, verse 26, except thou bless me. That's what Jacob answered. I'm hanging on until you bless me. Excuse me. Jacob is coming to a realization that I don't have it to do what I thought I could do. I am at a point now that I am helpless and I am totally dependent upon God. And so he is hanging on and he is saying, I will not let you go until you bless me. I am incapacitated. I can only do this. This is all I can do is hang on to you. And I am hanging on until you bless me. And the Lord said, what is thy name? Dave. Now, how many of you believe the Lord didn't know who he was wrestling with here? <laughs> Just went out and found somebody to wrestle. He's not trying to gain information here. But he is trying to get a confession. And he said to Jacob, what is thy name? And I know how it says it in the Bible, Jacob. But I think what we're supposed to see there 
is that Jacob, being at the end of himself, understanding his helplessness and his inability, that when he answers God, he said, I am Jacob. And I'm quite sure that if we could have observed this scene and if we could have heard the response, we would have heard Jacob something like this. And when he said, what is thy name? This is the real acid test, ladies and gentlemen. What is thy name? And Jacob said, my name is Jacob. And everything the name means. I have been a deceiver. I have been self-sufficient. I have been self-serving. I, 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 I have been divisive. I have been deceptive. My name is Jacob and all that goes with it. I came out of my mother's womb hanging onto the heel of my brother. I cheated my brother out of the birthright. I lied to my dad to get the blessing that he wanted to give to my brother. I have been sneaking around and playing tricks on my father-in-law to gain an advantage in the farming industry. My name is Jacob. I've lived my whole life as a deceiver, as a cheater, as one who undermines and underplants. That's me. I am Jacob. And that's all God wanted to hear. I said, that's all God wanted to hear. All he wanted to hear. Not what you'll do now. Who are you? And he confessed to who he was, which means he confessed to what he was. Does everybody listen to this? And he confessed it to God. And God didn't berate him, beat him over the head, call up all of his faults and failures, and reiterate them to him so he'd make sure to know what a loser he has been. God didn't work that way. Look how God worked. <laughs> Check this out. What is thy name? And he said, Jacob and all that goes with it. And he said, yeah, no more. Thy name shall be called no more Jacob. But Israel, Israel, Israel means a prince with God. Exactly. God said, that's you. Jacob said, for, or God said, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. God said, we're changing your name. How could God call him a prince and say he had a power with God? You see, when a person humbles himself and they confess to who and what they are before God, God doesn't then continue to deal with them according to what they were, but what he is going to make them become. Now, I don't know how old you were when you got saved. I was six years old. And maybe some of you were well into life. And I've said when I was six years old, I, 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 I didn't even know a cuss word. I wasn't stealing and I wasn't doing this and doing that. 
I have admitted to smiting my sisters, but it was self-defense. Honestly, it was. And so I, 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 I was a sinner, though, and I knew it. And maybe there are those of you that got saved much later in life, and you look at where you were and what you was. And I just want to say praise be to God that when he deals with someone who humbles himself to him and acknowledges their need of him and their dependence upon him, when he does that, then God doesn't continue on beating us over the head. It doesn't mean that we'll never have any results come back on the life that we have lived or anything like that, but God judges us according to what his son Jesus did at the cross of Calvary. And when we get saved, he's not judging us in our life for all the past sins. And he begins to look at us, not where we have been, what he saved us from, praise God for it, but what he has for us and what he is going to make us. Somebody said, do you believe in predestination? The answer to that is an absolute yes. I believe that for everybody that got saved, just like Romans 8, 28 and 29 say, that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he, the son, might be the firstborn among many brethren. Yes, sir, I do believe that, that God predetermined upon your life and my life and your life that when he saved you, he was going to be at work to make you and shape you and help me and shape me to be more like his son, Jesus Christ, with whom he is well pleased. Yeah, I believe that. I, well, I sure do that. And that's what's happening here. And that's why he said to Jacob, he said, your name's not going to be called Jacob anymore. Your name is going to be called what I'm going to make of you. It didn't mean that he had arrived there at that particular time, but he said, I'm going to work with you according to what I am going to make you. And you are now, look at me just a second, the descendant of Abraham and Isaac and now Jacob. And he is part of that patriarchal family and, uh, and, and the progenitor of the 12 tribes of, of the nation of Israel through whom God would work and bless and, and for whom he still will fulfill every promise that he made to them. He will yet fulfill upon him. That's Jacob, ladies and gentlemen. God said, your name is now going to be called a prince with God. A prince with God. And he blessed him there. Look at the end of verse 29. He blessed him there. Somebody said, I don't know. That's really amazing. Yeah, Jacob thought so too. He called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face. And my life is preserved. And as he passed over Penuel, the stone rose upon him. And he went hobbling along. Jacob did without the hollow of his thigh. Hmm. Isn't that something? I have a question for you tonight. And I have to answer the question too. What is thy name? What is thy name? Don't pull out your driver's license and prove who you are. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about in relation to this account because, see, the Word of God, Pastor mentioned the other night, that if we pay attention to the Word of God, it's a mirror and it shows us about ourselves what we need to know. It not only shows us who God is and, and the greatness of God and the high and lofty nature of God, but if we look in this book, I'm just saying, as you go through this account, we say, Jacob, Jacob, Jacob. But if we're real honest, we go look in the mirror and say, there's more of Jacob in me than I want to admit. 
There's more of Jacob in me than I want to confess. There are more times that I take matters into my own hands. Oh, you may, have, may not have made as many people mad. You may not have made anybody want to kill you like Esau wanted to kill his brother. You may not have been a part of dividing a whole family. You may not. But you don't have to do all of that in order to be a Jacob. Because in your own realm of things, the matter is, what does God have for your life? And what is right before God for you? And what purposes does, has he placed upon your life? Well, I want to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And I watch people all the time who sit in church and sing the songs and praise the Lord and know the language and everything. But when it comes right down to it, they're going to pretty much do what they want to do. I'm shocked and amazed at how many people uh, that sit in church and claim to be servants of God and serious about their fellowship of Jesus Christ then take off and pursue careers that ruin the possibility of them even having an effective life in the context of a New Testament church in serving the Lord. I'm amazed at that. Well, it's what she's wanted to do ever since she was a girl. It's what he's wanted to do ever since he was a little boy. I mean, it's just something they've always dreamed about. That's how we're supposed to arrive at things. Way to go, Jacob. Well, this is what I want to do. Go get him, Jacob. Basically, what you're saying is, I know what the Word of God says. I know about His control in our life. Seek you first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these things shall be added unto you. There are people that say, I know that, I know that, and go off and do what they want to do anyway. You know what that is? Jacob. That's what it is. It is absolutely Jacob. As a matter of fact, I would guess in, a, in an audience this size, even on a Thursday night when, you know, nobody said you had to go to church tonight, you came. I, I'm just trying to help us be honest with ourselves, ladies and gentlemen. It could be that there's somebody right now that you know your story will never make it to print so that it can be read by the whole world, but you know God's dealing with you and you're striving against him. How does that make you different than Jacob or Jacob different from us? Help me, please. It doesn't matter if it's a big issue in life or if it's a lesser issue in life, so-called. It really doesn't matter. What about that? Is God dealing with anybody here and saying, this is what I want out of your life. This is what I want you to put out of your life. And now, well, now look, I don't do this anymore and I don't do that anymore. And there's a whole bunch of things I don't do anymore, but this I'm just not ready to give up. Well, where did that conviction or persuasion come? Was that the Holy Ghost that is in you? Is it the authority of the Word of God? Was it the preaching word of the Word that uncovered that and made you aware of it, but you're going to walk out the door and go do your own thing anyway? How does that make you different than Jacob? It doesn't. It doesn't matter if it's a big issue like this, it's going to make it in the pages of the Bible and everybody's going to read it from now on. It's settled in the eternal word of God. Doesn't matter if it's something like that. Or it doesn't matter if it has to do with you, sir, and God called you to preach. Or to serve the Lord in the context of this church in a way that you don't feel comfortable with. Your comfort isn't the main concern. Amen. Amen. What about that? I'm not accusing anybody. 
I'm just saying, if you know there are areas in my life, we said a few things about the home this week because it kind of does come up in the account. And when you talk about marriage and you talk about the home, maybe there's some dad that said, yes, sir, I know I'm, I need to be that kind of dad. I'm, I'm going to be that kind of dad. I'm going to be that kind of dad. And two weeks from now, it's gone and things are just like they were before. You know what that is? I'll husband my wife my way. Okay, Jacob, help yourself. You can do that. There's a lot of futility ahead. Yep. What about it? Where his wife said, if there was a wife said, if you preach about submission, I just hate it when preachers preach about submission and stuff like that. If they knew my family, see, it goes all the way back to my mother and my great, my grandmother and my great grandmother, because they were all like this. But you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And what you were is not as important as what God wants to make you. Can you see in his word what God values in a wife, in a woman? Can we see that? then why do we think we can snub our nose at it and be any different than Jacob? We'll do this our way. And we can talk about raising kids. We can talk about money. We can talk about careers. We can talk about morality. We can talk about any of this, the full scope of life, my friends. And God cares about the details of our life. There's not a way in the world you could read the 139th Psalm that we dealt with in Sunday school on Sunday. You can't read that Psalm and believe that there's a portion of your life. God's really, <laughs> that's not that important to God. If you're his, it's important. If his word addresses any of the issue, it's important. I guarantee you that. And for a person to shrug the shoulder and go on their own way is the same thing as Jacob. I know God. I know who he is. I know he is God. I understand that, but I'm going to carry my, see, I have a plan and I'm going to do this my way. Jacob, what is thy name? Don't you think if we recognize any of Jacob in us, that the right thing to do is to humble ourselves before God? And get it right. Yep. Oh, I remember growing up and, you know, going through the years and I, I couldn't make up my mind if I was going to play baseball for the St. Louis Cardinals, who are just terrible this year. So I'm glad I didn't. But anyway, uh, I didn't know if I was going to play baseball for the Cardinals or basketball for the Celtics, who I don't even like anymore. But I did then. And I just couldn't make up my mind what I was going to do. Now, it turns out I kind of overestimated my athletic ability significantly. So there was no future in that for me, but that's where my heart was. And then I wanted to farm. My dad was a farmer. I loved my dad. He and I were very close. And I loved everything about farm life except the chicken house. I mean, I loved farm life, the plowing, the hay, the harvesting, the cattle, I, I, raising pigs, the whole business. I loved everything about the farm life. I wanted to do that. I remember the night I came back from youth camp and it had been about three weeks since youth camp and I got right with God on Wednesday night of that week and I'll never forget that night sitting in church with probably 30, 35 other people and our pastor preaching up there like the whole world's listening and I'm sitting there and God's saying to my heart, you, I'm calling you to preach. It's going to be your life. Raising church, love preachers, I love preaching. I'm sitting there and I remember thinking, no, not me. 
I went down that night and surrendered. Then I got out of high school and it's time to go to Bible college. And she had another year of high school. She was my girl. And, and she had another year of high school. And I didn't want to go off and leave her with all those weirdos in our high school. And so I'm going to stay there and protect her. And so I just had my own little Jonah stunt there and running from God. Running from God. Do, I'm going to do things my way. Come to find out a guy that was a neighbor that I'd done some work for. He had polio and he was a very wealthy man, very wealthy. He was willing to set me up in farming. My dad said, you know, it's really tough to make it. If you just go out and try to be a sharecropper, it's almost you got to be set up. Somebody's got to set you up. And he was ready to set me up in his farming operation. <laughs> he had no children. They had oil everywhere. I mean, I thought. Then now we're talking. This is what I want right here. God said, Sammy Jacob, that's not for you. And put the fear in me. I'll spare you that story. Don't have time for it. But put the fear in me. And I surrendered to God. And I've never had any more trouble with Jacob since then. I wish I could say that. But I have. I have. See, here's the thing. Our man Jacob is approximately, he's nearing 100 years old. And God's still working with him. Come on, his grandpa was Abraham. His dad was Isaac. <laughs> Quite a lineage, don't you think? That was him. And raised in the home of Isaac. And is almost 100 years old. And still Jacob. And God's still working with him. And we got another sermon to go. Because he's not done yet. It's a fact. He's got another. And, and here's the thing I get out of this. The patience of God. The, the incredible patience and long-suffering of God. And it reminds me to, to, to remind the saints, God's own people, that while in our culture and society, we want everything instantly. Whoever invented instant oatmeal did us all a great disservice. Instant oatmeal, it's awful, in my opinion. But then the microwaves, you can do this faster. We were conversing the other day, and it was in the, what, 1970, long 1970. They said that because of the coming of microwaves and coming technology, that by the year of 2000 or the early 2000s, that Americans would be working 22 hours a week and retiring at age 36 because you wouldn't even have to work. They kind of missed that one, didn't they? And we want everything instant. Instant cash, instant this, this, my internet is so slow. Oh, bless your heart. That is so sad. High speed internet, that's what we got. And instant everything. Well, let me tell you something that is not instant. Spiritual maturity. Spiritual growth. There are no shortcuts. I said there are no shortcuts. That God will teach you 
If you'll, if, you'll, if you'll listen, if you'll quit striving with him, if you'll quit justifying yourself, if you quit saying, I got this, I'll handle this my way. It doesn't matter if it's a sin that's gripped my life. It doesn't matter if it's my pride and arrogance. It doesn't matter what it is, my disobedience to God. I'll take care of this thing my way. Oh, excuse me just a second. If you'll let God, he'll take care of it for you. And he'll help you with it. And then what? Then he'll help you with the next step. And the next step. And the next steps. Can I have your attention just a second? I thought by the time I got to be 78 years old and been saved 72 years, I'd need far less rebuke from the Word of God than I'm getting to this very day. Well, you must be a mess. Well, I am. I'm a son of Adam. My flesh still wants its way. Myself still wants what self wants. But he doesn't stop. I don't know how many times I've sat down and I've shared things with my wife and sometimes in preaching. How many times I've sat down for my morning Bible reading, just trying to be a good Christian boy and get up and read my Bible and God just rake me over the coals with what I'm reading. Oh boy, have to get right with God and then have to get right with my wife. Even though it's her fault, I have to go back and get, I'm just, just joking. Have to get right with whoever, whatever. No, I'm just saying it never, I said it never stops. It never stops. Somebody said, well, at least he got right and he humbled himself there. Yeah, but God's got to deal with him again tomorrow night. <laughs> it never stops. It never does. And it doesn't matter if you're one of these young people fighting God's purposes and will for their life and want so badly to fit in with this culture and with the world and with worldly friends out there. It doesn't matter if it's Sam or if it's some great grandpa like me. It doesn't matter who. As long as you have the presence of mind to know that you're a child of God and trying to live for God in this world, you're going to need the correction. You're going to need the instruction. And God's going to keep working on us about the Jacob that is in us. And when we yield to his control and his power, we'll know blessings and favor and communion and fellowship. And when we fight against it, you got to remember what the wise man Solomon said. He said, there is no wisdom and no understanding and no striving against God. You are not going to win. Don't say amen to the song. He always wins. He always wins. And then go out and fight him. Oh, that worked in there pretty good. Don't say amen to that song. He always wins. He always wins if he's not even winning in your life. See, what is thy name? And if you know that to one degree or another, my name is still Jacob. And you know why it's still Jacob? Don't you think this would be a good time to just say, I'm not going to wrestle anymore. I'm not going to fight this anymore. I'm not going to try to make it my way anymore. I surrender. What got him where he was that night was he said, I'm going to hang on till you bless me. It's all I can do. <laughs> I'm, I'm through striving. And he was for that moment. It's where God wanted him. God didn't berate him, browbeat him, stomp on him. He said, you're going to be called Israel, a prince with God. Father, you know our hearts. 
you, uh, you know what I don't know. I don't know who all's in the room tonight, meaning I don't know every situation. It's not even necessary that I do at all. But I know, God, you know, and your Holy Ghost is able to take your word and convict and speak to hearts, and persuade, persuade that prideful, self-centered heart to be humble, to be willing to be taught of you, to be willing to submit to your way, your control. My soul. We get on to Jacob because there were, there was a host of angels right there and he's afraid. And God had already told him he was going to be with him and, and keep him. And yet he thought he had to manipulate and all of that. Oh God, if there are people in this room that are kicking against your will and fighting you to whatever degree regarding what issue it is in life, if you're dealing with them, oh God, I pray that by the working of your Holy Spirit, there would be a willing and surrendered heart to you. Might there be a confession before your throne. My name is Jacob. To greater and lesser degrees, my name is Jacob. I'm still fighting for my way. I'm still resisting what I know God would have for me. I am still hanging on to that pet sin. I will not confess to my pride and self-sufficiency. Oh God, please, the futility of such a life. Remind us, oh Lord, as you have in this account, of the futility of that self-governed life. Might your Holy Spirit work in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.